Before we begin tonight in the book of Joshua, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that we can come and we can pray as a church family, as a body of uh, Christ, um, him being the head, uh, Lord, seated at the right hand of you, uh, forever interceding for us. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you that, uh, that even when we don't have words, uh, the Holy Spirit likewise groans for us uh, into heaven on our behalf. And so, God, I pray uh, that as we look into your word tonight, uh, that you would help us to be able to articulate more and more uh, what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, what it means to be a Christian. Lord, help us to see uh, this good news of Jesus, even here in the book of Joshua. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. The book of Joshua. Uh, we've been taking some snow breaks. Uh, I didn't have any snow at my house, but it's, it's always better to be safe than sorry. Yes, Bibles. Dan's willing and able to hand out many Bibles. If y'all want a Psalter too, we can get those uh, in case we have an impromptu call for a song. Um, while Bibles are getting hand out, handed out, I might do a, uh, just by way of introduction to the book of Joshua, sometimes, uh, not all the time, but sometimes uh, we enter into Joshua coming out of the Pentateuch and people say, finally, we get some action, some war, and then, and then uh, there's a sense in which the theology lessens for people. Uh, but I would encourage you not to fall into that trap because there is a depth of theology to Joshua. Uh, uh, a great deepness. In fact, the book of Hebrews uh, in, in the New Testament, a very complicated book, but one that reveals so much about Jesus Christ, particularly using the Old Testament. Well, that book uh, of Hebrews goes to Joshua in a, a, a many different ways, big picture and small picture, and you'll see that on the handout. Uh, you'll notice that uh, particularly in the connection Section. So I encourage y'all to read that on your own and to see. And we'll, we'll talk about some of those connections uh, tonight as we get into the book of Joshua. Uh, my, my Greek professor in seminary told me about the book of Hebrews, uh, told me to, to preach through every other book of the New Testament, including the book of Revelation, before I went to the book of Hebrews. That's how how highly he felt uh, that you needed to be prepared for it. And yet, as I have been in preaching and teaching for a little while now, I have seemed to come to the conclusion that you could say that about every book. And so when I was looking at Joshua and preparing for it, I thought, man, uh, there is a whole lot that is going in uh, to this war book. Uh, it's not just uh, a children's song about Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. Uh, it's not just that uh, iconic uh, last chapter's verse, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. No, there is much more to be had. Uh, my prayer is that we'll see that uh, as we go through this. Uh, again, the purpose of this series, this very short series, a survey of the Bible, about 66 weeks, uh, except for the snow breaks, of course, you know, that it, it seems like we're kind of starting to add on weeks. I'm starting to get a little nervous, but that's okay. I pray that y'all will still be here with me as I continue on. Um, but but uh, we come now to Joshua, and, and we're coming out of 
what seemed to be a pause in the story. Leviticus, and, and then we get Numbers, and Numbers is some more movement, and then we stop at the Jordan, and we get the whole book of Deuteronomy. And, and the whole book of Deuteronomy has us in one place, uh, the, the outside bank of the River Jordan. And it's there that we sit the whole time. Uh, Moses is talking to us. He's talking to us some more. He's revealing more about what the Lord wants for us to uh, see. He's talking, he's talking, and then he dies. And at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, we are still at the edge of the Jordan, anticipating movement. And we move now in Joshua. Uh, We move into the promised land. Joshua, meaning he will save, uh, names matter. I hope that One thing as we march through the Old Testament that you'll notice is that names matter. We'll see a few names here, but Joshua's the big one. Yeshua, he will save. Jesus is the Greek for Yeshua. Jesus meaning he will save. Uh, Jesus, uh, uh, of course, uh, getting that name in the New Testament as well. In Hebrew, they would have called him Yeshua, Joshua. He will save. We see with Joshua a very similar transaction as he delivers God's people into the promised land. Uh, uh, That's where we start, though, uh, is this deliverance motif, and that's in Joshua 1. Uh, There's there's a couple things as as I'm I'm trying to help us get into the text. We're going to, sadly, not get to cover every verse of Joshua, though I know you would like to. Um, uh, We won't get to cover every single verse, uh, but the purpose of this is not to cover every single verse. The purpose is to uh, help each of us in our own timing get into the text. It could be through Bible study later. could be when your preacher starts a new sermon series. It uh, could be when your Bible moderator or uh, men's Bible study or wh- whoever uh, and whomever, wherever you find yourself, uh, maybe a yearly reading plan uh, and on and on. The goal with these is to help us get in it. And so the the very first thing that we need to help us start to wrap our minds around this this book of Joshua is where we start in chapter 1. And it's God's choice of people to bless. Uh, This is a very important starting point because it's going to affect how we talk once we get into the middle, which is a little bit complicated. And so we need to start well uh, with God's choice of people to bless. God is choosing a people, his people, God's people, the nation of Israel. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob being renamed Israel. Israel having 12 sons. Those 12 sons now becoming nations as their children have children and their children have children. And on and on it grows. Boom. All of a sudden it's a nation on the outskirts of their promised land. And this is God's people that he has chosen. Joshua 1, verse 5 through 9. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, this is God speaking to Joshua, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Their fathers being Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, 
but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. It's, it's God's choice of people. He is with them. And he is choosing to be with them wherever they go. And they are going where he has told them to go, which is this promised land of Canaan, the land of milk and honey. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. An important part to this, we'll skip over chapter 2, but we'll come back to it. Don't worry. That's the first part of the Jericho story. Uh, We have to talk about Jericho, right? Uh, We've got to. It's in Joshua. But before we get there, we need to wrap our minds around this reality that God has chosen his people to bless. And that, uh, I think, we see it really, really kind of slammed home in chapter 1. But then we also get it in chapters uh, 4, 3, 4, and 5. That might be signified... Uh, We'll start with chapter 4, verses 19 through 24. Might not read all of that, but uh, you you see here, after this brief moment where spies are sent in to check out Jericho, they meet somebody interesting there, uh, that we come back to where Israel is, preparing to cross the Jordan. A miracle happens. The priests walk into the water. The water is split, just like the Red Sea. Uh, And in Joshua 4... Verse 19, the people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up, and he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. There's a lot of things going on here, but God has chosen a people, and it's important for us to see this now. This is a generational God. I've said it before. I'll say it again because God keeps on saying it. God does not choose a single generation alone. He chooses a family, and he works through a family, and we see it every single book of the Bible, all the way through Jesus, all the way past that, father after father after father after mother after mother after mother, on and on and on. That doesn't mean that God doesn't draw people to himself that are outside of this covenant. However, most ordinarily, God is working through the family. And when your children ask about the stones that are drawn up from the dry ground in Jordan, you are ready with an answer to say, listen, God did this for us. He delivered us. He brought us into the promised land. And he did so miraculously. This is revealing Jesus Christ, of course, this miraculous salvation, the land signifying salvation. And we'll see this theme as we continue to go through. Not only do we see a miraculous crossing over, a reference to uh, the deliverance out of Egypt that we saw in Exodus, but we also see uh, some signs happening in chapter 5. We won't read these totally, but you'll see them on uh, 
uh, on the solid rock verses there, chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, circumcised the sons of Israel a second time. Circumcision being a sign and a seal of the covenant. I'm telling you now this first important theme that we need to wrap our minds around if we're going to dive into Joshua is that God has chosen a people. How do you know who are God's people? Oh, circumcision. Unlike anything else in the ancient Near East, no one else did this except for God's people. And so we see here uh, all the men of war and, and, and they speak of how all those men died. That was a that was an important piece to this because they had sinned. They, they had uh, doubted the Lord, and because of that, uh, they had been judged, uh, unable to go into the promised land. And so they were waiting on their daddies to die. And as soon as they did, they were able to cross over. As soon as they crossed over, God said, wait a second, stop. Before you do anything, they need to know that you are my people. Circumcise the nation of Israel. And so Joshua uh, let the command be known, and it was done. After that, well, they had Passover. What was Passover? If you recall, in the book of Egypt, uh, the, the, all the plagues were happening. Pharaoh continued to harden his heart and not let the people of God go. And so God came up with a final curse, a final uh, uh, test there. And, and he said, listen, let my people go. If you don't, we'll kill the firstborn. Pharaoh said, no way, not going to let you go. God said to Moses, told all the people, put some blood on the post of a lamb, that lamb signifying Jesus Christ for us, that one who took the death for us, that firstborn of God. Those who didn't, who were not within the covenant community, their firstborn died. Passover. So they observed this meal, this religious meal of bread, meat, and wine. Interesting uh, uh, signification of what we celebrate now in the Lord's Supper. It's not identical. It's not meant to be, but it's a sign of God's people. And they observe it, entering in to this promised land before it is conquered. Uh, it's a very important moment where we see God's choice of people to bless and, and their observance of their chosenness, if you will, uh, uh, their uh, dedication unto God for what he has done. This is a good transition now to that complicated piece that I talked about. We'll, we'll use Jericho a little bit in this to help us see it, but it's, it's holy war. Holy war is a touchy subject? Well, let me take that back. It should be a touchy subject wherever you are. Uh, uh, holy war, what I mean by that is, uh, is really a total destruction and annihilation of every uh, individual in the country. We see this uh, command given by God in uh, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 20. You don't have to flip there, but I'll, I'll just read it to you right quickly because it's important for us to see what the people of God are about to enter into. Deuteronomy 20, this is uh, starting with verse 16. But in the cities of these peoples that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance, in other words, the promised land, you shall save alive nothing that breathes, but you shall devote them to complete destruction. Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, as the Lord your God has commanded, that they may not teach you to do according to all their abominable practices that they have done for their gods. And so sin against the Lord your God. This reality that, that uh, the people of God are about to enter into true holy war is 
is supremely offensive. And yet, we need to take it a step further. Uh, this is really the offensiveness of the gospel that's at stake when we're talking about holy war as we see it in the Bible. Uh, what's happening here is a judgment of sin. All right? Uh, first of all, God is sovereign. Uh, uh, God is God. He can do as he wills. If he wants to give land to his people and other people are in it, he can make them go away no matter what. He's God. So that's the first thing we need to recognize if we believe in God. Uh, but the next thing we need to recognize is that these people who are being judged are being judged rightly. They deserve death. The wages of sin is death. They deserve the destruction that is coming upon them. Now here's the part where you need to take a breath, put a semicolon in, and continue the sentence. Because in that same breath, you need to say that the, the nation of Israel likewise deserved death. They deserved holy war to be done to them. But God, in his mercy and grace, chose not to do that. In fact, he chose them and loved them and sacrificed his son for them and revealed Jesus Christ to them over and over and over. Passover being one, the burning bush being another, the revelation of his name, I am that I am, the uh, Ten Commandments, the manna coming from heaven, all of these things that they were witnessing were revelations of Jesus Christ unto them. And that if they would hold fast to the Lord, to the God who saves, they would be saved. Uh, uh, we saw this in Deuteronomy, that even the law, uh, that law that we feel condemns, actually holds uh, the power of Jesus Christ within it. Because there we see uh, when God speaks that we cannot obey, and yet he is the one who is willing to be gracious and merciful, sprinkled throughout Deuteronomy, uh, which this book weighs uh, heavily on. <clears throat> now, I told you that we deserve the same punishment that this nation is getting. Uh, let's flip to the very end of Joshua, Joshua 24, and I'll, I'll let the text speak for itself. Uh, I was mentioning that they do deserve the uh, punishment that they got, and we deserve that same punishment. We see that elsewhere in the scriptures. For instance, the nation of Assyria, in the book of Isaiah, uh, is the rod of God's anger used against the nation of Israel. Holy war is wrought against them, in effect, and they go into captivity. Only a remnant remains. Joshua 24 Let's look at a few verses here. Verse 13. This is God speaking. I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you didn't plant. That's God speaking after they conquered the land. And so there's the first moment. This holy war that's waged, uh, they... They, they were, they were uh, tools, as it were, within God's hand. They were fulfilling what God had called them to do. Uh, but, but it wasn't in their own righteousness that they were seeking uh, the death and destruction of nations. It was upon God's righteous authority that they were being sent out with a command. God gave them these things. We continue on in chapter 24. Go to verse 15. 
If it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river, the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is the cross-stitching that goes on everybody's wall. It's a wonderful verse, a great moment to stand upon the God who gives us everything. And we say, yes, Lord, we will serve you. However, the story continues in chapter 24. We can't take uh, verse 15 alone. Verse 19, for instance, Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. Listen carefully. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. He will not forgive your transgressions or sins. We need to talk about this verse. It's a big deal because at first glance, it seems antithetical to the gospel because what does Jesus do? Seems like he forgives us of our sins, right? What is Joshua saying? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Choose this day who you will serve. God is a holy God, a jealous God. He will not forgive your sins. Here's the truth. God doesn't forgive sin. There has to be a payment. That's the whole reason Jesus had to come. Uh, That's the whole reality of the gospel. It's laid upon this single verse. God does not forgive sin, that transgression that goes against God, that goes against his will, that goes against his being. There must be punishment. Justice must be meted out. And so Jesus comes, God's own son, God himself, and dies a sacrificial death on our behalf. That's the meat of the gospel. God doesn't forgive sin. There's got to be a payment. And once the payment is made, there is no more sin. And so we stand before the throne of grace rather than the throne of judgment because we stand on the solid rock of Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. And it's here in this moment that we realize that this holy war that has been waged and that will continue in the book of Judges and even into Kings. Who are we? Who are we to claim more righteousness than those that we are slaying? And yet at God's God's command, he has given his people, his nation, this promised land that he promised their forefathers. And because of that, this holy war in the truest of senses, because God himself commanded it, is waged. That's offensive, but it's just as offensive as the gospel. Because a perfect, a perfect man deserving no judgment took on the sins of many. Now, in case you were wondering about this holy war, did everybody die? No, not everybody did die. Uh, Let's go to Jericho. Back to Joshua chapter 2 and chapter 6. This holy war is important. That's why we're spending a moment on it. It reveals the gospel in a a wonderfully deep way, one that requires us to think more about how we define that good news. 
Well, we come to Jericho, and, and there's an interesting thing that happens. This is the first city. Uh, this is the exclamation mark. This is the moment where God's people come and they say, is this really going to happen? And then it does. But all in the midst of this is this, this crazy thread. This, this singular individual, this prostitute, keeps on coming up. Rahab. Two spies are sent in to see what Jericho's like. They come into Jericho, and people hear about it. They don't like it. They're going to try and kill them, and Rahab saves them. Why? Chapter 2, verse 11. This is Rahab speaking. As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Verse 12, now then please swear to me by the Lord that, we don't even need to read the list, by the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh, she claims Yahweh, she claims his power and she claims him. She says, swear to me by him that you will not do anything to me or my family. Chapter 6, let's see how serious this thing is. Chapter 6, verse 17. Now, this is, this is Jericho, right? They march around the city seven times. God, in his miraculous uh, endeavors to conquer the land, to go before his people because they are his chosen people, well, he does it through trumpets and marching and shouting because the walls of Jericho, they do come tumbling down, and they do so uh, miraculously. And then, boom, the city is sacked. Uh, that's the story, but what's happening in the midst of it? Well, let's look at chapter 6, verse 17. The city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. This is Joshua speaking. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. Verses 21 and 23. The story continues. Then they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys with the edge of the sword. But to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said... Go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belong to her, as you swore to her. And so the young men, they do so. They had been spies, went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. The story continues. They burned the city with fire, everything in it, only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And again, here it comes for a third time. But Rahab, the prostitute, and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day. As a Canaanite prostitute. That's a double whammy. Even if she wasn't a Canaanite, she would still be killed under God's law. What in the world is happening? More than that, in Matthew chapter 1, it gets a little more intense because David... Or rather, let me go back to verse 5. And Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of David, the king. <laughs> Rahab is in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, a Canaanite woman. One uh, uh, in the land that God said, kill everything. That goes against me, that is for the abominable practices that go on there. Those who repent and come to faith, 
you find them within the remnant of God's people. You find them within that word, sojourners. You see in the Passover meal, circumcision in those houses, well, everybody would be circumcised, including slaves and sojourners. The Gentiles, the Canaanites, there were people that were coming into God's nation that were of Canaanite origin. You see it here with Rahab. Uh, You see it with the Gibeonites. Uh, They're a little deceptive, and yet uh, they act wisely because they come uh, in deception, but they come and save themselves. Uh, You see that in chapter uh, uh, 9 and a little bit of 10. Look at that on your own time. It's It's another example as we march through this reality of of God uh, uh, commanding his people to kill. And yet this holy war is defined in just that, in holiness. And when Rahab confesses, capital L-O-R-D, and holds fast to him, well, that's the great I am. The great I am is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ saves his people. And if you have doubt about that Old Testament narrative, Hebrews chapter 11, that great chapter on faith, the faithful strong, those who are the strength, the, the, uh, the ones that we put up on a pedestal, right? Because the author of Hebrews does. In line with Moses, Isaac, Jacob, Abraham, By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. Verse 31 of chapter 11 in the book of Hebrews. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. That is, she held close to God's people. She recognized what was happening. And she fell on her knees before the God of the universe. A Canaanite woman saved in the midst of a holy war. Uh, It defines the holy war for us. And it helps us to see the reality that this wasn't some kind of ethnic cleansing, uh, which is used sometimes when seeking to describe these things. It's not uh, any of these other things. It's very particular. It's God commanding something because of his holiness, which we deserve the same thing. And yet in his graciousness, he chose not to. That's very offensive, but the gospel is offensive. And so because of that, we as a saved people live in a world of unsaved people, and we don't know why. Why did he choose you instead of your brother? Why did he choose you instead of your neighbor? Think about it. And fall on your knees before a God of the universe who chose to love you. Because that's the only reason. Nothing that you did merited that love. Only destruction. Okay, that's the big part. Holy war. We're almost there now. Uh, we just come to the big meat of the text. You know, the war doesn't really cover that much. Only, uh, only about three or four chapters. Uh, what really is covered is the allocation of the land. Everybody's favorite chapters. Uh, really about uh, uh, chapters, I think it's 13 through 21. Yeah, it's here on your solid rock verses. I have it listed just in one, chapters 13 through 21, because I expect all of y'all to read through uh, those wonderful verses, right? Chapters 13. We'll just start with uh, maybe a little bit here so y'all can see what I mean. Uh, chapter 15, verse 7. And the boundary goes up to Debir from the valley of Acre. So northward, turning toward Gilgal, which is the opposite of the sin of Adumim, which is on the south side of the valley, and the boundary pass along the waters uh, of En Shemesh. 
and the ends of Enrogel. Then the boundary goes up to the valley of the son of Hinnom, to the southern... Oh, it goes on and on, right? This is the moment in our uh, daily Bible plan readings where you fall asleep, you get discouraged, and you wonder, what in the world are we doing? There's a few who are like, continue reading, seeking to be holy. (laughs) I'm here to tell you that they are important. The allocation of the land is very important. Uh, let me use two examples, and that'll be really uh, exemplars of, every, of everyone else. Uh, let's use Caleb and the daughters of Zelophehad, chapter 14, uh, verses 6 through 15. We won't read all of those. We'll just read maybe 14 and 15. Uh, this is Joshua 14, verse, let's see here, verse 13, chapter 14, verse 13. This is speaking of Caleb, Caleb being one of the faithful spies. Joshua and Caleb alone survived the, uh, uh, the trek through the wilderness. Every other person in their generation, dead. All right? And they were alone faithful. So we see here, Joshua blessed him. He gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. God remembered. And Caleb inherited the land. Let's go to the daughters of Zelophehad. Chapter 17, verses 3 and 4. Now, if you recall, Zelophehad, their daddy, died. And now this uh, uh, is an old age, an old culture, where the land only transferred through the father. What if the father dies and there's no brothers? It's just a ton of daughters. What do they do? Well, God doesn't forget them because God doesn't care about, uh, about chauvinism, about feminism. He cares about his people. And so they brought a problem to Moses, and they said, we're not going to get our land. And Moses said, that's something. Let me ask God. And God said, they're right. Give them their land. Chapter 3. I mean, chapter 17, verse 3. Now, Zelophehad, the son of Hepher, the son of Gilead, son of Machir, son of Manasseh, had no sons but only daughters. And these are the names of his daughters. Mahlah, Noah, Hoglah, Milcon, Terzah. They approached Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun, the leaders, and said, The Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance along with our brothers. So, according to the mouth of the Lord, he gave them an inheritance among the brothers of their father. He remembered. God remembered. The land here signifies salvation. They're entering into rest. We see that in Hebrews uh, chapter 4. It's not a perfect rest. It's signifying the rest that we find in Jesus Christ. The author of Hebrews lets us know that. And yet, it's still very real rest. And it's very tangible inheritance of the land. And God remembered. Not just one, not just two, not just Caleb, not just the daughters of Zelophehad, but every single person that was within the covenant, that confessed in the Lord, every single person received their inheritance. They received their salvation. They received their rest. None were forgotten out of God's people. The allocation of the land was the salvation and the promise-keeping reality of God. So where do we end? There's a lot in the middle, a lot more to be seen, but where do we end? Joshua 24 again. This is a covenant renewal. We read some from it already. 
We won't go back there. It's very intense. Ponder. Ponder on Joshua 24, 19. Allow that to sink in and allow your conception of the gospel to deepen to the point uh, where you start to realize the reality of what's going on, that God doesn't forgive sin, and yet you stand righteous before a holy God. Think on it. But we go somewhere else. The end. Chapter 24, verse 28. This sums it all up. God said in the beginning, chapter 1, verses 5 through 9, I will be with you. I will cause you to gain the land. I will cause you to allow this people to inherit what they need. What happens in verse 28? This is the very end. So Joshua sent the people away. Every man to his inheritance. Every man. Praise be to God. It's also the end of an era. We've been marching through these first books Genesis through Deuteronomy, and now we come to Joshua. There's a transitioning happening. And so we see that God has culminated in this moment. Rest is had. The land is acquired. Joshua dies. Eliezer the priest dies. Joseph is mentioned. That great, uh, uh, that great redeemer that we see in In Genesis, it reveals Jesus mightily. Well, his bones are buried. There's a transition moment, and we come to Judges. Uh, It's a a repeat now. We have seen the culmination, the gospel coming out of Exodus, the gospel within the law, the gospel in the conquering of the promised land, and now we're going to see the gospel in the depths of darkness in the book of Judges. There's a transition. It's the end of an era. There's a transition. And yet, With these three things, the book of Joshua helps us to see that God works on behalf of and in spite of his people to keep his promise of deliverance, salvation, and rest. Remember, God's choice of people, holy war, set within the Bible, the true definition, and what that means for us, Joshua 24, 19, and the allocation of the land. Remember it and go into Joshua and be blessed as you see Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do come to you so, so thankful uh, for your word everywhere and yet here in Joshua with the giving of the inheritance. Not one single person was left out. And so, Lord, we hold fast to that hope that not one single person of us here in our family, God, will be left out. We hold faith and we hold it boldly because of what Jesus has done for us. God, we know you don't forgive sins. We know that Jesus died for us, and we know that we stand righteous only because of that, and we stand in our inheritance because of Jesus. Thank you for that. Thank you for the book of Joshua. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.